This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Yeah, we're a little earlier in the week this week with the All-Star festivities. Derek Ben Riper, Eno Saris, Bridgeroli all here with you. Britt at home. I am at home. Eno on the road, actually at the All-Star game, just a few hours before the Home Run Derby begins, and has people in the background that could make an appearance if you're watching us on YouTube. We're waiting for chaos to unfold just over the shoulders of Eno. Some, some sort of music has started playing. Yeah, hopefully you can't hear it. It's not. It's it's not, not enough it for us to get out. sued. You know, it's uh, it's it's good. It's like a very gentle background sound. So I don't think we're in danger <laughs> of uh, having the pod get booted off of YouTube. But on this episode, we are discussing our selections for the All Star Game, or at least how we'd go about the process a little bit differently than uh, the rosters are actually built. We're going to talk about how we would improve the showcase events that make up All Star Weekend or All Star Week. Talk about the Juan Soto situation for a bit. Looking for the viable in-season trade partners. No guarantee he's on the move between now and August 2nd, but we'll figure out what teams have the best chance of making a deal if one is going to happen. We'll also talk about Chris Sale's injury and Boston's seemingly fading playoff hopes in the wake of that news that seems to be a bit under-discussed here thanks to everything else going on. Let's begin with our all-star selections and. Britt, when you are putting together an all-star roster, what matters to you? What considerations are you taking into account? Do you only care about this season? Do you care about recent track records, any sort of past performance, uh, elements of surprise? Do you like a balanced roster where every team in each league has at least one representative? Like, What is the dream all-star roster construction for you? Well, first off, the dream all-star team is one that is wearing their team's uniforms. That's some tradition that I just can't let go. It's awful. I know it's a way to sell jerseys, but like, come on, let these but guys. The jerseys wear... are awful too, right? Yeah, that they usually let... come up with. Yes, they're usually really blah. They don't have any color because it's like can't look like they're another team's uniform. So my ideal all-star team starts with bringing back the individual team's uniforms. Just a cool, cool thing that needs to come back. Um, I'm looking for star power a little bit. I think you know MLB is as well. Otherwise, Clayton Kershaw probably wouldn't be starting for the National League. We know Otani would have if the Angels and his representatives didn't want him to kind of get off schedule a little bit. So they were going for the Ken Rosenthal idea of Kershaw Otani. It almost happened. Um, obviously, it's not. Shane McClanahan is going to pitch in Dusty Baker fashion. He said he's never seen Shane McClanahan pitch but still named him the all-star starter of the team he's managing, um, which, by the way, I love. I think you have to have a good year this year, but also but the also wasn't, is, didn't end up being true. It didn't? Of no, course it didn't. Because he, he pitched against the Astros in the playoffs. Yeah, but Dusty might have been asleep. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. Oh, he doesn't remember it. How good could it have been? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you meet somebody and you've already met them and you're you have no recollection at all. It's like, sorry, Oops. you just didn't make an impression. Oh, that Which happens to me all the time. Back then. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> God, throwing shade at poor Shane McClanahan. Um, you know, I, I do think what there's something like 80 all-stars were on now. I think I saw that tweet. So we're 80? definitely like, we're definitely in the third tier now because so many guys have dropped out. I, you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of torn on that because, you know what, they're human beings, right? And, like, 
it's a long ass season. And so I could, I could be like, yeah, if you don't feel great, like take a few days off. Like, like yeah. we asked them to play all year long and not take days off, you know? Uh, that part of me is like, yeah, uh, take a day off. It's fine. Uh, but then the other part of me is like, well, no, Jose Altuve should be here. Yeah. And is there a way to like incentivize him being here without being draconian? Like, could you only well, get half the bonus if you like don't show up or, you know, there's something like that? Yeah, that's a good idea. I think you're right on one hand. On the other, how hard do these guys play in, in the all-star game? And the, most of the starters play for what, a couple innings? Ace. It's yeah, really, mostly. Yeah. It's it's a physical toll, I think, from the like perspective of they're traveling, right? They're traveling somewhere else. They don't get the off time. They're dealing with the media, all that stuff. But I think like they only play a couple innings. It's not unless you're actively injured, it shouldn't make you know what be the might, might, might be the hardest thing. Did you guys read the the piece on um, on uh, Albert Pujols and the Derby by Stephen Hesby? Yes, <laughs> and how everyone's like. Yeah, Todd Helton's like, my obliques are screaming just thinking about it. Uh, but uh, th there was a good point in the piece that was like, you know, this is harder than it used to be. I think one of them said, I won the Derby with like 16 homers one year. I think it was Luis Gonzalez won the Derby with 16 homers. And Alonso hit like 37 last year or something. So it's a little bit different of a situation now. And that one is actually tough. And that one people seem to be showing up for. And I think it's a little bit bonus related. It's I think there's a, a decent number for for winning the uh, for winning the home run derby, and then also um, I don't know. It's, it, it has remained. It has kept its cachet longer, right? Like people want to win the home run derby. They don't care as much about the All Star game. I don't, I don't want to say the new format for the derby, the knockout format, the bracket it's style. Good. The timed format, that is a significant improvement, right? And I think yeah. it's hard to scale everything else that happens during All-Star Week to get to that level. I think playing in the game, it, it, it is... It can't all be the home run derby. <laughs> no, playing in the game is not rigorous for players. It's not hard to do that. I think it's the lack of being at home and, and people value that, right? Especially guys that have families probably value going home and taking a break more than the younger guys who aren't necessarily as worried about that they don't mind going to la for a few days and enjoying the city and, and kind of half relaxing compared to having that downtime i think that's part of the calculus here too i think this game is always funny though because no one seems to agree on what criteria should be used to actually put players on the roster 80 all-stars is too many by the way way too many and i keep looking at it thinking this to me is more of a snapshot of who's been the best player since the last all-star game most people don't seem to look at it that way. Most people just say, no, I want opening day until end of June. Who's great? Who has surprised us? Who are some of the legacy guys? And you make this kind of hybrid roster of some surprises, some guys that you expect to be there. And you always have these debates about, oh, there aren't two starting third basemen in the National League. So only one of Machado and Arenado can start. Like those happen every year. A lot of these processes for the game itself feel like we've been through them so many times that they're just not exciting anymore. And I think there has to be a better way to capture some of the excitement we used to get from this event. I just feel like the home run derby in comparison now overshadows the actual all-star game. And I'm not sure how to fix that. Yeah. I think you need to change the game totally. 
You need to change the rules of the all-star game. You need to shorten it. Someone said like a skills competition. Like how much fun would that be to watch? Like these guys like try to throw from the outfield into trash cans, like just for accuracy. Like I think that there are like some really fun things that you could do. Bunting competition. The Tomamansky fun house. Like, you know, like I, I think that there are like, if you're just going to not make the game worth anything anymore, which it's not, remember it used to be home field advantage and then it was a little bit more of like an actual game, but who cares now if it's a full nine innings, right? Who cares if you play by totally different rules at the all-star game? One thing that happens though with the, with the shutting the innings down is um, Keith law has been talking about this when it comes to the futures game with seven innings over there. Uh, you don't get to see as many people. And that is actually part of the all-star game, right? I want to see as many people. Some people come here and want to see their all-star, you know, and if it's the A's, they got one guy and they want, they want that guy to throw, even get an out or something, you know? So, um, you know, over in the futures game, Keith always saying, because it's seven, we don't get to see some of these guys. And that's the whole point. So maybe it's a little bit more important with the futures game because there's so many scouts and it's like, we really need to see these guys uh, as opposed to like, what are we going to learn about Trey Turner, you know, tomorrow that we don't know already? (laughs) We can cheer him on. Maybe he could hit a homer, you know, we, but you know, it's not as big of a, uh, an issue to go to seven. So I, I just wanted to point that out. If you do go to seven, you see fewer all-stars. I don't, I don't think you have to shorten the game necessarily, but you could, I think you could adopt some of the principles of banana ball and pay the people that invented banana ball. If you're going to do that, because that seems like a more fan friendly sort of approach to a showcase game that doesn't have a lot of meaning otherwise. And it's so weird because pitchers go out there and they're throwing gas. You can't really go out there as a pitcher and go at 80%. You go out and probably go a little harder because you're going in a shorter stint if you're a starter. So then you got hitters trying to hit the best possible peak version of all-star pitchers. And that becomes really challenging as well. So I think the, the tweaks could be a little more radical. I mean, I, I think of like the, the really fun stuff from when we were kids, I think of uh, the NBA jam where you'd have uh, the points light up on the floor, like extra bonus spots, right? Like think really creatively and outside the box in terms of what this game should actually look like. And it is about seeing everyone who's there. I get it. I still don't think if you're if you're a terrible team, I don't think you deserve to have an all-star. Like if, if you generally don't have a player who qualifies on his own merit, why are you forcing that player onto the roster? What does that really do? Do you think an A's fan actually tunes in just because they have one player on the terrible I team they're they still rooting for right now? You believe that? I think they might. Yeah, th- I, I'm I'm into the participation trophy. <laughs> I mean, what, else is, what else does Oakland have going for it this year, baseball-wise? I, th- I do think it's like otherwise the organization. The organization is excited. The reporters talk before the game to the All Star. Like I think you almost have to have the token guy from every it's team. It's true. Um, from from a from a tr- from a reporting standpoint, when they when they just had we just had the media availability, and it is sad when you are the you're Paul Blackburn and nobody really wants to talk to you, but the local media is always just hanging out close to you, you know, and there's usually some local media official or something that's also here. So it it begins, it it does give you like a little bit of a, like, Hey, the A's are here (laughs) you know, sort of feeling. And like, you know, I don't know if it's that sad. It's a little bit sad because they, you know, he'll be like right next to the Otani booth, which is like, (laughs) it has like a hundred reporters around it. Paul Blackburn (laughs) is like, yeah, I got all the time you want. (laughs) What you you got? (laughs) Yeah. It's cool for players like Paul Blackburn that they have this rule because I don't think there was a path for him to 
grab a spot purely based on merit. Otherwise, what do you think about the, the legacy players being included, right? Albert Pujols being on the NL side this year, Miguel Cabrera being on the AL side. Is that something you like, Britt? I love it. Uh, listen, the All-Star game is supposed to be about celebrating the game of baseball. And when you have legendary guys who are on their way out, why not include them on this grand stage, right? Like if you're a baseball fan in LA, how great. You can now see Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera. Like, I think it's great. I think they should do it even more. Um, I'm all in, in on the legacy stuff, guys. I think it's a great way I, to celebrate the game. I only have one little weird aspect to it, which is this. At the end of their career, they're going to go up for Hall of Fame consideration. And even today's quote-unquote more enlightened voters that are voting slightly differently than before, don't care as much about some of the team contact stats and are willing to look at people that maybe have a losing record for their career or something like that, you know, like uh, they're still going to look at all-star game appearances. It's still going to matter. And so you, you have this one part of the hall of fame, like this one thing that matters for the hall of fame that now major league baseball is in control of, like it can just add, pad your stats. Basically. It's almost like major league baseball putting their finger on the, on the till a little bit and saying, you know what? Albert Pujols better be a Hall of Famer. We're going to give him another All-Star appearance. A little bit of that? No, not, not, no. not now. Because those guys, like Pujols and Cabrera those guys are Hall of Famers are anyway? Hall of Famers. These guys are Hall of Famers. Yeah. What does it matter if they go to the All-Star game 11 times or 12 times? Right? right like it's, right. We're talking about Hall of Fame players already. It's not like, oh, he had no All-Star appearances. Oh, now he has one. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Right? We're talking about such a... In my opinion, such a small it, thing. It's like a, eight, it's eight kind or of, nine. Does that matter? It's a new David precedent. Ortiz? It's a new precedent. It's the league awarding. Yeah. A, a, it's the league awarding like an honor to but a player. But it only happens once, right? Like they can't. Like if Miguel Cabrera plays next year, they can't just do it again. Like I think if you okay. do it once, it's fine. If the league has the ability to keep like putting Miguel Cabrera on the roster for five years, okay, now we're padding yeah. stats. I'm generally pro it. I just wanted to point out like. Yeah. Just a couple asterisks I had when I when it came down to it. Last All-Star Game specific question. How do you feel about the fan vote and the impact that has on the starting line? I think it's cool because people get to choose who they want to see, or do you think it gets skewed because bigger market teams can obviously leverage their position to end up with a handful of starters, whereas smaller teams generally don't get players represented in the lineup as often as they should be? I don't have a solution for you. I draft, like, develop some pitchers because the pitchers get chosen a different way. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's sort of an inherent flaw. That, but, it, but listen to what I'm saying. The fan vote is an inherent flaw in the All Stars. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that's a general feeling by a lot of people, but I, I think you're missing the point. The, the, the point is the fans decided but it's a popularity point. contest that you know and that's fine well, that's, that's the point what it's that's supposed what it to is be. yes i guess that's that the, that's where the counterweight of giving every team at least one all-star comes from it's saying well hey look we're not just gonna let this be a thing that fans in big markets plus st louis and atlanta atlanta's a big market but those yeah. the kind of core six or seven teams that tend to just flood the ballots you know you can offset that by at least naming a player from every team so i, How about, I it's the best of what they can do to, to make an it idea. as democratic as it is Here's an idea I had. How about this? Create some new positions in the All-Star game that are interesting and different that might reward some small market teams. So, for example, utility player. 
has to be someone who has played at least three positions. Yeah, and you can do something with yeah. the you know multi-inning relievers or non-closer relievers. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, non-closer okay. reliever, multi. Because yeah. the two guys I was thinking of, uh, one has like I think remained a snub, and the other hasn't. But at some point, Brandon Drury was a bit of a snub. Uh, you know, kind of utility player for the Reds, and then Michael King I think remains a snub. Um, there's a lot of Yankees here. He'll probably be okay. He'll probably get in another year or whatever. But I think the reason they didn't get in is they're not like necessarily thought of as starters at a position and um, middle relievers just, you know, don't really move the needle for people, but they've been very excellent, both of them. And it would be okay to reward them. And at least in Drury's case, you'd be rewarding a, a small market team guy. I'm on yeah, board that with that. Sense. I like that. Yeah. And like for the fan voting, I mean, listen, I worked at MLB for 10 years and it is, a, it is a way to drive engagement. You want like, that's part of it too. It's also, you're getting people interested in the all-star game so that they feel invested in it so that they watch it, right? At the end of the day, that's all this is about. Um, you're getting the clicks. You're getting people to come to the stadium and vote. You're getting clubs are getting people to come to the stadium. You're getting people excited about the event. So you have to involve the fans. And I, I think it's fine. This isn't a game that means anything. Why not involve the fans? Why not have fun with it? You know, I, I know one. plenty of fans who don't watch the all-star game, right? Because yeah, they're fans a, yeah. of the Brewers or whatever. And, like, the Brewers aren't going to win a game today, you know? Um, so what do you think that the three motivations are? It's probably somebody I voted in or somebody off my team, right? I want to see. Somebody yeah. like a, a star that I don't get to see you very often. my market. Yeah. Like an Otani. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, you know, I'm just generally a baseball fan. I want to see something interesting happen. That, do you so think that I, describes most people? I think yes. that's probably the the largest factor. So you got to keep that yeah. every team rule in. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's for one of the of three so reasons bad. that people watch the game. Yeah, and you got to keep true. the fan rule. That's one of the other three reasons. So the, yeah. the, the key, though, that I think we're talking around and toggling and in, 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 in sort of thinking about is the third one, which is they want to see something interesting happen. And how, how can we... How can we make more of that happen? So I I do like when they stepped in and were like, I we don't care what the rules were for Otani in terms of hitters and pitchers or whatever. He's gonna he's gonna hit in the first inning. He's gonna pitch in the first inning because that's yeah. gonna be awesome, and everybody wants to see that. You know? yeah. yeah, and like miking up the players, like giving them cameras, letting them take selfies, like all that stuff yeah. should be happening. Like I want to see a wiffle ball game. I want to see these guys play wiffle ball. Like I want to see just crazy stuff. How about this? Um, I would be okay like, with it getting crazy. This is along the sort of banana ball idea. How about this? If it, in the ninth inning, you can pinch hit anyone, even if they played before. Yeah. I'll take that. I want a resolution. I don't want ties in the all-star game. But also, like, that's something you can't do in baseball, and it will never happen in the regular season. But, like, it's cool crap happening. You know, it'd be like, oh, my yeah. God, Otani's coming back out down by one, yes. you know? Yeah. I mean, you could really mess around with stuff. Like, all of a sudden, like, oh, no shifts. Like, you know what I mean? Let's see some range on these guys. These guys are real all-stars. Let's see how far they can range. Like, I you could really, yeah, yeah, you could really I do a lot of, of, of interesting stuff, I think, um, to kind of jazz up a normal game. Yeah, maybe take some of the, the rules that you've already thought about tweaking and beta test them in the all-star game and yeah. just see. Like, like, almost test the most aggressive ones, the ones that are, yeah. like, the weirdest and like have and like change the way it looks a little bit because that they're gonna have so much pushback anyway but what if it like led to a really awesome all-star game then maybe the players would be like mm, you know what it's okay idea 
Yeah, making yeah. the game look a little different when it, it's already different. The All-Star game is already just a different sort of game. Lean into that a little bit more. I think that'd be a nice improvement. I think the only other things I would think about from the last couple of days that I want to see be a lot different, I think the Futures game belongs the night after the All-Star game. I think the Wednesday night after the All-Star game, when we have nothing else in baseball to watch, that is when the Futures game should happen. It needs to be on network TV. It needs to be on Fox or whatever network has the All-Star game. The next night, they get the Futures game. I think it'd be a bigger event. I think people would actually show up for it. Instead, it was a mostly empty stadium. They probably had a bigger crowd by the time the softball game started than they had for the Futures game this year. I did see some some thoughts that maybe the smaller marketplaces that host the All-Star game show up for the other events a bit more because there's less competition in those markets for something to do over the weekend, right? L.A., million things to do all the time. But a place like Cincinnati or Milwaukee or a mid-market kind of place, people are going to show up differently for those events. But the future stars of this game should be on full display. They should not be on early Saturday evening, only available on a streaming network. Like if you do streaming for an alternate cast with more stack cast and stuff, I get that. Appease the nerds over there and then you know put the product in front of everybody on the network that corresponds as well. I just felt like that game still gets buried in shortening that game for the reasons Keith mentioned. We had a bunch of relievers in that game. They didn't even get to pitch a full inning because they had to get everybody in. So you see a guy pitch to one batter and then he leaves. Like That's kind of ridiculous. I don't know what it's... what how it goes ticket wise, but like your all-star game ticket should be tied to also include free admission to the futures game or, you know what I mean? So that I also think that the draft should just get out of all-star week entirely. You could have the futures game last night on a Sunday when there was nothing else going on. There were no baseball games, right? There was no night game. Um, You could have had that last night. I think having the draft really just adds another thing to this as well. Moving the draft would help a lot. I actually think there's a solution built in here. The draft could also be a showcase event. If we're talking about a case where guys need days off around the all-star break, what if you had a few weekdays off? What if you had a mini all-star break, a mid-season break at the end of June, Monday through Thursday, not a big draw, right? A little before the 4th of July, maybe. You take those days off. It's kind of like a spring break concept applied to the last week in June. All the players get to spend a few days at home with their family. And then your all-star selections will actually show up to the all-star game. And you put the draft on during that window. The draft is a standalone event. The draft gets more attention. You can probably stretch it out over an extra day so you're not running a six-hour event on night one of the draft. Maybe you get two primetime nights out of it. I just think you can create something that people would be more excited about if you're not overlapping it with regular season games. And that applies to both the draft, when it begins, and the Futures game on Saturday. I mean, getting overshadowed by a regular season game, if your team has a chance to go to the playoffs this year, are you going to watch your team's game on that Saturday? Or are you going to watch maybe one or two of your prospects show up for part of that game? I think it's pretty easy for most people to choose their favorite team. Yeah, and it's true. It's like we're talking about the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby today when the draft was yesterday. So that gets buried. That coverage is such a small thing now. Nobody cares anymore that Matt Holiday's kid got taken number one because now we're all focused on the All-Star stuff. So it's like way too much stuff going on at once, and I agree with you. Like, you don't even need four days off. Just two days would be enough to get most of the draft in, you know? That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, everybody who works for a team right now is nodding their head vigorously. They They would love to not have the draft. During this time, it's a yeah. it's really terrible because they're also working on uh, trying to be uh, ready for the trade deadline. 
So, you know, it's just a really awful kind of month and a half that they're uh, just going to have to really just work, 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 work. The four-day thing, I think, you know, asking owners to take four days off of having revenue in the middle of the season would be aggressive. Also, I, I just think that no one's ever going to care about rounds two and three and four of the baseball draft because, honestly, if you even look at basketball and football, they have way more aggressive coverage on day one because those are the guys you're most likely going to see that the biggest stars, you know, one through 10 in baseball are the ones that are going to make the big leagues most likely, uh, you know, in basketball and football, the first rounders, they're the ones you're going to see next year. So, you know, if you did your thing, you could just have a Sunday where there's no baseball games. Like that's a little bit less of a push when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to what, uh, what, you need to do in the, in, the, in the season just one day off you know one day off first round of the draft and then you can do second and third and fourth round of drafts like you know at your own pace you know so there's some way to make it work i hope they make that adjustment at some point here in the near future we do have a full draft recap episode coming up later this week so once the draft is complete keith law and i'll record that'll go up on thursday so if you want to know everything there is to know about jackson holiday kumar rocker going third overall Tamar Johnson, that whole class of players that have been drafted in the last couple of days. We'll talk about them coming up later this week. The other big story that surfaced from the weekend, Ken Rosenthal's report, Juan Soto turning down the extension offer from the Nationals. And now we flipped the switch, Britt. You and I talked about this a few weeks ago when Eno was gone. We thought no way he gets moved right now with the sale of the team coming at some point in the reasonably near future. And now it's possible that he actually gets moved before the August 2nd trade deadline. It's not necessarily a guarantee because they can wait. They have him through the 2024 season. But how did things change so quickly as it pertains to Juan Soto and the Nationals? Yeah, so I feel like I've been on the radio all day talking about this Juan Soto stuff. And the the answer is like everyone is correct. We were correct a month ago when we said there's no way they're going to trade him. Because that was the consensus in the Nationals front office. Mike Rizzo, the GM, came out and said on the record, we are not going to trade him. Well, because they were going to offer him $440 million. They thought he but, might yeah, take it. They not, to, not only did they think they might he might take it, but they were pretty sure that they were going to sign him to some kind of extension. They felt yeah. really good about that. Even if it wasn't 440 they thought, well, we'll get close enough that there will be a counter, that there we will figure something out here. There was no counter. Uh, Juan Soto's agent Scott Boris has shown no real willingness to continue these negotiations is what I was told from multiple people and so now what you're looking at is if you're the Nationals is okay we really wanted to keep him he doesn't seem to want to stay we're trying to sell the team and we need to give the next ownership a clear picture of what's going on here we might as well put him on the trade market and see what we're going to get now I don't expect him to get traded in the next two weeks I would be surprised if he does, I think it's probably an off-season thing, and I think we've mentioned this before, a bunch of reasons. Like, you're going to now make a franchise-altering trade in two weeks. Teams are going to scramble to put together these packages. It probably won't be enough. But the whole tenor around Juan Soto has changed. And, you know, you're at the All-Star Media Day. What has what the buzz been like around him? I know he's pretty upset that this leaked out, so that also lends to the fact that this is now a fractured relationship between the ownership group and Soto, where they probably are not going to get anything done. Um, has he been like the biggest story there? It's funny. Uh, you can't actually check the buzz on something here because we have a media availability where you can actually hear everybody else's questions. You know what I mean? Like there's scr <laughs> it's scrum after scrum. So you, as you go from player to player, you'll start to hear 
you know, there's one question that everyone's asking, which is if you could steal a pitch from somebody else here, what would you steal? You know, I've heard that question asked like eight times, you know. Uh, apparently, it's mostly Cor Corbin Burns' cutter. Uh, but uh, somebody said, uh, so, so a couple have said Sandy Alcantara's uh, change or sinker. Anyway, the other question you hear from everybody is some version of like, you know, do you have any advice for him? You were once in a walk year. You know, you were once somebody that, you know, people were going to trade for. You were once in the eye of the storm. Um, you know, Garrett Cole got asked this about Aaron Judge, but his answer was really interesting, which was like, if you're on a good team, that provides you a, a, a layer of security from these questions, right? Like Aaron Judge does not have to think about being in a walk year all year because he has to think about winning games with the Yankees, you know? And like, that's what everybody's doing. And when he's talking to is like, how are we going to win today? Right. Juan Soto doesn't have that. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that many people care about how many games the nationals win this year. So he's not like, you know, you can't just like bury his head in the, in the heat maps for that night, you know? And like, so I, I would gather that he's thinking about it a lot uh, that other people are thinking about it, but also, they're frustrated as all-stars because they come to an all-star event and they have to answer questions about Juan Soto and, you know, may, they probably haven't talked to him about it. And they're like, what? somebody asked Paul Goldschmidt. He's like, no, I said like three words to Juan Soto. He didn't ask me what I should do, what he should do about his contract. <laughs> well, <laughs> I do like, think... I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry someone asked you. <laughs> I think the timing is tricky, but I do think the one thing that makes it slightly more likely that Soto gets moved now compared to the scenario that Keith and I talked about a couple of weeks ago with Mike Trout and the Angels is he hasn't had the extension yet. So you're really just looking more at who has the prospect capital, who's desperate enough to make the move now because you get him now plus two more seasons. And then you figure out the rest later, whether or not you can extend him. You don't necessarily have to answer that because you're competing for three titles with him, even if he ends up leaving. So I think that that opens up a pretty select group of players, whereas like Trout, he's signed to that massive contract already, and shuffling that contract requires an entire offseason to figure out how all the pieces fit. So I still think it's probably, if you said approximate it, it's more likely than not that Soto is still a Washington National after the trade deadline, but it's still fun to think about who could get it done? Who could make the godfather offer? And Britt, the other thing to think about, I guess, too, a team could be more desperate right now. You might get a better offer right now. You get more time if you trade for him right now. It's, it's three playoff pushes instead of two. That might be enough to incentivize a team, whether it's the Dodgers, maybe the Padres, the luxury tax, such a problem for them. It's just hard to see how they could make it work. You know, the Mariners, among many teams that could pull it off. And I think prospect depth is the first thing I'm looking at when I'm trying to find a team that actually lines up with the nationals to get a deal done, because it's going to take a haul to actually make something yeah. happen. And, and I think yeah. that everyone's sort of putting the Dodgers on that list. And I'm just not sure they have the prospect capital, you know, unless they're, and they're not really going to give up Gavin Lux. You know, that's the one that everybody wants the young major leaguer who can play the middle infield. I don't think they've shown they weren't going to give up Gavin Lux for Jose Ramirez. You know, they weren't going to give up Gavin Lux for, Francisco Lindor, they weren't, you know, for whatever reason, Lux is off the table. If Lux is off the table, I don't think Andy Pajes and Miguel Vargas, I don't think that gets it done. No, Even it's more Bobby that, Miller though. with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It starts <laughs> getting better, but I'm, I don't know. I don't know. If, I think other teams can beat that is what I'm saying. I just don't know if there's a trade out there right now 
that says, yep, the Nationals are, are going to win this trade or at least come close to not colossally losing a trade. That's why I think it's more <laughs> likely it's this winter because the two and a half years of Juan Soto, I don't know if any team has enough, right, to justify the Nationals making that trade. The team that I thought made the most sense because you'd want probably three major league ready or near major league ready great prospects plus depth. That's where the Padres came in for me. I was just trying to figure out logistically. I think they have the best top end prospect talent. Because if they went some combination of CJ Abrams and Robert Hassel III and Mackenzie Gore, there's your three up top. That that, that would be the best offer anybody can make, I think. So then the other question is, okay, you're probably giving one to two more players that aren't nearly as highly regarded, but still valuable long-term players the Nationals want. But then are you also sending back Hosmer or something else. Can you make the pieces fit where you bring in Soto and send and back some unwanted him. salary, but you're paying, you're, you are paying the extra prospect to get it done. In this case, it makes a difference because you're getting Soto. And even if you don't extend him, you have this year, next year and 2024, where you have a big three where you're going Machado, Tatis and Soto as the heart and soul of that team. Like that's a pretty compelling thing to consider doing if you're the Padres. So would they do it? I have no idea, but I think they're maybe the best position team in terms of young talent to make the offer that gets the nationals to say yes. He also is, is the one who got away for AJ Preller. They almost signed Juan Soto. So that adds like an extra element of intrigue to all of this. I don't know how many people are aware of that. Like he is the white whale for AJ. (laughs) And if we know something about AJ Preller is he always tries and goes, get the guys they lost. Alfaro, Mazzara, like Profar. Profar, yeah, he's got them all. And Tatis himself, actually, he wanted to sign Tatis uh, before the White Sox did. And that's why he went and got him after Tatis had only played in like high A. And so I think we're competitive. This is a pretty compelling narrative. One also part to this is that Preller has shown the willingness to be like, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, right? We're going to try and we're trying to win today. And that's one I think, like, I think the Giants could use Juan Soto maybe almost more than anybody. Just like a star that will play every day, is not bad defensively, could be like their new Barry, you know, like a new sort of like anchor to that whole lineup. Then you can play all your games with your Jock Petersons and your Tyro Estradas. You can do all that around Juan Soto as opposed to doing it without Juan Soto. I think the Giants could really, really use him. Um, however, to do it, they're going to have to trade like Luciano, their shortstop of the future, Kyle Harrison, you know, you know, possibly one of their top two pitchers, starting pitchers of the future. They have to trade away so much of their future. And then Farhan seems to more, more jealously guard his future, if you know what I mean. So it just doesn't that, like I, I, the story we're telling about the Padres. I'm like, uh-huh. Yes, yes. And then, the, yes, it's going to happen. <laughs> when we tell the story about the Giants, I'm like, eh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Nah, the timing. Not. It's the timing that doesn't feel quite right. If the Giants were just a little bit younger, then it would make even more sense. Like they, they could do it and they could they make more sense as a team that would extend Soto. The Padres, I'm not sure they'd be able to make all three of those guys fit long, long term. So it might just be for the next few seasons if they do it. So I think the ability to give Juan Soto the contract he wants, that might make the Giants more of a player that's, than that's why than they are based sort on of prospect like, capital. Yeah. Get him and sign him and make him the new Barry, basically. And correct. I mean, there's a lot and then of, he becomes a, a man. Lot of, 
there's something to that, but I, I just, for some reason, I just doubt it happening. Are, yeah, we, are we out yeah. on the Rays doing it? We know they've always got the prospects. It wouldn't it's a non-extension situation. <laughs> no, but hey, yeah. go get your title. Yeah. Go, go do it. Yeah. Listen, like I, I could see a bunch of teams making a play. If somebody asked me what uniform is he wearing in five years, though, and I think it's the Mets because I think Steve Cohen doesn't care about money and luxury tax and says go get them. I don't think the Mets have the capital to maybe make that yeah. trade this year. What's their offer? Yeah, I don't think Beatty. they have that capital. Not enough. Beatty and Vientos, no. like a couple no. okay infielders. But no. if he gets to free agency – you know that Steve Cohen is coming. Right. I agree with that completely. I mean, yeah, the Francisco Alvarez, Beatty, Vientos, Ziegler package. Like, it's, it's an okay package, but it's, I don't, it's I don't good, know the teams beat that. If the Mets wanted to get crazy about it, the Mets could absorb all of the bad contracts the Nationals have. Eh. Every, every other rumor I see is, oh, they got to take Corbin. Oh, they got to take Strasburg. What if they There's took Strasburg and that. Corbin? Right. There's Most teams. No, no, no. They Most... can't take Strasburg, you guys, right. because got, Scott yeah, Boris is his agent. No, no, no. You are giving Scott Boris. First off, yeah, he has no trade. But also, Scott Boris would be able to control where Juan Soto goes because he'd be able to advise Steven Strasburg on if he wants to accept said trade. So you're the putting Mets. all the, the eggs there. But the Mets might be the one team where Scott Boris says, actually, I would love him to go to the Mets because I know the Mets will pay every single dollar and then some for soda. And also a big market. Send him to a big market. That's true. Yes. So, but I'm just saying you are really I think it's unlikely. Power. Right. Yes. I, that that part. Yeah. Ken talked about that on the show on Monday, too. And I was nodding along. I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. You don't want Boris calling the shots here. Like you want to yes. control this as much as you can. If you're the Nationals front office, but I think I, that's the the one team that can just throw a whole bunch of extra money at the problem and make Nats fans' dreams come true. And I say that with the most sarcastic tone possible, taking on one or possibly two bad contracts. What was your other idea? You know, what about the Yankees? Get your Judge replacement if you think you're not yeah. going to sign Judge. You're giving a Volpe at the top of the package plus a lot more though to do it. I've definitely heard from some evaluators that they feel that Volpe is overrated. So. If, if you yeah, internally to wake up though, if, if you internally as the Yankees say, well, I don't know, maybe he's not who we thought he was, then you're more likely to trade him. But I also don't like the second and third pa- pieces of the package, like well, like Clark Schmidt and it breaks down a little bit. Uh, Austin Wells, I think, you know, just a, a bat heavy catcher that could catcher. be on the move. Do you want the Martian back as part of the deal? You get Jason Dominguez back too for the the player you can dream on. Maybe you can make something work with the Yankees prospects. The Cardinals might be sneaky interesting here because the well, top done that end before, of their system. They've done this they've, before. The top end of the very best of the guys they could bundle together would stack up almost as well as the Padres group. Are does. you including so, Gorman? Not not including Gorman to get Juan Soto. I mean, Seattle, yeah. too. No one's talking about Seattle, who's probably got the strongest prospect capital, but and Jerry DePoto, who's always a wild card. Yeah, you just you know DePoto and Preller are the guys that are sleeping the absolute least in all of this, trying to come up with the dream scenario to to make so all your the top pieces two. fit. I'm Padres one, Dodgers two. Yeah, Britt? I think the Padres is definitely one. I still feel like one of the New York teams has to be two. I just... They have the capital to sign him to an extension, too. And then, whether you're the Mets or the Yankees, your fan bases are just going absolutely berserk. So I think you have to go with one of the New York teams, as too. I don't really see this fitting into the Dodgers' moves, but I don't know. Dodgers have already spent so much money. Are they are, In your scenario, they're just trading for him? I mean, they already did the Mookie Betts thing. You know, they're going to they, just do it again? 
Yeah, they already did the big spending thing. Yeah. They would do it one more time. They got some money coming off the books at the end of the season. I something, mean, in that scenario, something. why don't we just throw Philly in there and they'll just have 27 sluggers on their team. And <laughs> If only they had some prospects. I'm, I'm going to put the Dodgers like three or something. I think I'm going... I'm going Yankees and Padres for some reason. That's that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. Could do that. Take Corbin, you know, too. They they could. Yeah, they could. If I were up to me, I had Soto and I was trying to trade him away. I don't want to lessen the return by giving away that contract. I'd just say, fine, we'll just, we'll keep Patrick Corbin. It's not a big deal. We'll pay him. He's almost done. Yeah, okay. his, his yeah. deal is What that the Reds bad. did with Winker. Just accept it. It's fine. It's not hurting you. You can afford it. Some, Life goes on. Cost. Yeah. Absolutely. Just maximize the return. That's the way to go to make your franchise better. Get a bottom five farm system coming to the season. So fix that. Don't take less of a return just to save a few bucks. The other story I want to talk about is Chris Sale. He is down with another injury. Boston's playoff hopes may be worth discussing here. I mean, you look at this team kind of in a funny spot right now. 40% chance of making the playoffs. It's the lowest of the top four teams in the AL East. Yankees, Jays, Rays all ahead of them. Uh, Orioles getting off the zero mark in the last couple of weeks, too. I think they're at 1.5% at the All-Star break, which is you know a big shift compared to where people thought they were going to be. What do you do if you're in the Red Sox position right now? Xander Bogarts probably opts out at the end of the season. Maybe he stays with an extension. You've got Devers hitting free agency at the end of next season. J.D. Martinez is gone at season's end. Nathan Evaldi is probably gone at season's end. His contract is up. And then all of your one-year filler guys, Michael Waka, Rich Hill, those guys are gone, too. Are they really kind of in this middle space where the next two weeks before the deadline ultimately determines whether or not they're adding for this year? I mean, this, this injury seems a little more pivotal than people have made it out to be so far. So, you know, you first. What are you doing if you're in Boston's position right now? I mean, they got the 40% chance. So I, I think they're going to stay in it. They're going to do the kind of lame, like, little buys. You know, they're going to get a guy here and get a guy here. There's no way I think that they – make the big kind of Juan Soto-ish move or, you know, know, who's the other, who are the other big prizes of the post of this uh, trading? Josh Bell. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Josh Bell. Bell. Or, you know, maybe they could could surprise us and pull off the trade that I think will happen, but it's really hard to predict the trade for a Marlins pitcher with team control. That makes more sense based on what they need beyond this season. Right. So if you like Pablo Lopez, get Pablo Lopez for, you know, a couple more seasons, you know, not just this one. Um, And that would take like a a position player prospect, but it it could be one with flaws. You know, when Jazz Chisholm went over to the Marlins, it wasn't like he was like a top 10 prospect. He was a more like a top 50 prospect that somebody that they were dreaming on, you know? So maybe you could uh, build something for Pablo Lopez around, Something, somebody that's not established. Like, do you think it would take Jaron Duran to get Pablo Lopez? It would take Duran plus something. You think that's not even like? I think Pablo Lopez has more real life trade value than Jaron Duran. Yeah. Maybe that ain't happening then. (laughs) Yeah, I think I agree with Eno. I think, listen, the Red Sox have always, if you look at this payroll and the way this team is constructed, this was never the year, right? It's always, always going to be 2023. When a lot of these salaries got off the books and then they could make the bigger moves. It is still weird when we talk about big market teams and we never really mention Boston because they've been in this like payroll efficiency mode. Um, and that should change next year. I see them kind of doing little buys, like Eno said as well, because you look around, the Rays haven't really been the Rays that we've known from years past. Toronto just fired their manager. So it's not like this is like a 
imposing AL East. I mean, it's the Yankees and everybody else. So why couldn't it be the Boston Red Sox, right? I think you can't really fold even with sales injury, which is unfortunate, but honestly, they've been playing without the guy forever now. So it doesn't drastically, yes, they were hoping to get him as an addition, uh, but it doesn't drastically change anything in terms of the, the trajectory and the way this team has been playing up until this point. Yeah, maybe rental starters will be the the main thing that the Red Sox are, are pursuing now with Sale not having a timetable. It sounds like it's going to be several weeks, though, before he's back. It's a good point. He has missed a lot of this season. They did get Nathan Evaldi back right before the break, too. I think he becomes a lot more important to them, keeping him healthy, really important as they try and move through the second half of the season. Wait, I got a quick in. name for you for Boston. Yeah. Zach Greinke. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's kind of like the, yeah, all right. In that media market, that'd be interesting. That'd be fun. I just think, you know, that's that's my example of like a little acquisition, like a guy who could be good, help him a little bit. Just a, He's a free agent at the end of the year, you know. I liked Grinky to Atlanta as a possibility. Uh, just thinking about a team that needs some veteran innings to help bridge the gap into October because you've got some issues with probably Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider workload-wise. You're going to want to be a little careful with them at various points between now and the playoffs, but you want those guys to pitch in the playoffs. So there's probably a handful of teams that are actually good fits for Grinky as a result of just that need to get from here to there. Last question for today. This one came in via email. One of our listeners, Barry, had a dream about knuckleballs, which sounds like an amazing dream, by the way. Uh, but the main question from Barry was, where has the knuckleball gone? It's been a little while, right? And remember the MLB Network show from a few years back, almost 10 years ago now, the next knuckler? Only lasted one season. Didn't actually turn up a knuckleballer that we saw in a big league game, of course. But the question is, like, where has this pitch really gone? Why don't teams look for guys to do this anymore? Why does anyone try to throw it? Is it as simple as this pitch is really hard to throw? I mean, what, where have the knuckleballers gone, you know? I, I You know, I think there's a, a bunch of different answers. I mean, like, for first of all, like, if you're a, a young guy coming up, everybody only cares about your fastball velo. You know, that's what the, the co- college coach is asking. That's what... You know, that's what everyone cares about. So you're not going to give up on the fastball until you're you're like a, a catcher who needs to hang on or, you know, like R.A. Dickey three years into his major league career being like, man, this ain't working. I guess I'm going to try the knuckleball. So that's why it ends up being a, a – I think also the, the world of analytics is not a great place for the knuckleball because it's not a pitch that you can just add to an arsenal. It's very hard. How many people do you know that like there was like two or three pitchers – of all time who like threw a, a healthy arsenal and a knuckleball, you know, most of the time you're a knuckleballer. It's the only thing you can throw. You just throw the knuckleball and that's it. You know, sometimes you try to sneak a fastball and that's it. Um, if it was a pitch that you could just like add to your arsenal, then people would be like trying to add a knuckleball, you know, but I don't, I, don't, I, I think that it's, and then lastly, because of analytics, like it's just not a pitch that, it's easy to be like, oh, add the spin or what's your axis or whatever. It's very much like a feel thing. It's like you have to basically meet an old knuckleballer who teaches you it. It's like a little, it's like a, a secret society. You know? It's a family recipe that's passed down. It's yeah. never written down. You have to be there to learn how it's made to actually make it correctly. You're not allowed Stephen to tell Wright anyone had, outside the family. Yeah. Stephen Wright had Wakefield. I mean, almost all of these guys had a guy who taught it to them. Um, it's true. And so as, as there are fewer of them, then there's fewer of them to teach, too. So uh, the, the, the flip side of this that's really interesting is that uh, almost everybody who's throwing, every position player who's just, like, throwing around playing catch, they'll throw a knuckleball at some point. So, like, half the league thinks they have a knuckleball, but 
<laughs> Nobody has one. Yeah, the yeah. lights go on and suddenly you don't have that pitch anymore. Oh, yeah, not going to throw it, yeah. I mean, what also is going away, though, too, is the submariners, right? The side armors. It, it's become such a just a game that values velocity among top, like nothing else. And if you're a young guy, you're not going to try it, like you said, until it's really hard to get people to buy into the knuckleball. I remember Buck Showalter talking about when they had R.A. Dickey, trying to convince him, and they couldn't for the longest time. Like, you have to fail and fail and fail and basically be like, hey – it's either you try this or you're out of baseball. Your last chance. For guys, for, yeah. yeah, for guys to buy in. So that's the other reason you aren't seeing it. it it's, it's, you know, the game has just totally changed. I don't know if we get back to the land of guys coming out of the pen, throwing somewhere in the 80s and throwing from, you know, down under their knees, it seems like. I don't I don't know if we see another Darren O'Day type of guy. I just don't. I think we want that. I think you see it in a handful of the league's best bullpens. You see someone that gives you a totally different look. We talked about it a lot with the Rays in the playoffs a couple of years ago, like arms around a clock where you had different slots and release points from all these guys. I think it makes it a lot harder to hit when stuff doesn't look the same. I realize in pitch design, you can do a lot of different things with guys that have similar deliveries, but I hope we don't lose the unusual funky pitcher. It does seem like the knuckleballer might be gone for good because I never hear of anyone at a younger age throwing oh, it and yeah. throwing it consistently. It's not. There's it's no, not there's no day one it. prospects. No, you know, there's no the draft. Nobody on the no... flat ground app throwing the knuckleballer. <laughs> yeah. One little, one little possible entry point. We're seeing more position players throw than ever. Maybe some team will decide it's a market inefficiency to teach all of their position players a knuckleball so that there's this outside chance that when the position player is pitching, it's not that stressful on your arm either, right? So you yeah. could have your position players all, when they come out to pitch, only throw knuckleballs. And maybe you get it back into a game and you get back into a game and you win it 12 to 11 and somebody is in the and afterwards is like, how did you do that? Like, what was up with that knuckleball? And he's like, yeah, in the spring here at the in houston it's gonna be like houston or la or new york we all just had like a a, a one-week knuckleball thing where every <laughs> position player let's like worked on their knuckleball together for just just for this to happen today and then then you would start to see copycat it's a copycat league right no one's yeah. succeeding with the knuckleball so nobody's copying but if, but if you did it maybe i'm, a, I'm in I'm, I'm in on eno's vision and dream how about you Britt? i like it yeah, yeah. Make it fun. Bring it back again. We hope everyone enjoys the festivities. Home Run Derby will be in the books by the time you get to hear this, hoping for a big one. Who's winning the Derby? We'll be proven wrong by the time people get to hear it. But who's your pick to win the Derby this year, Britt? Pete Alonso. The guy that no one has built for the Home Run Derby like that guy. Yeah. Sure. All right. You know? I'm going with my metrics. Uh, I I had a metric called the Blast, and uh, the winner has come from – has either been first in blast or in the top four in blast every every year in Sackass era, uh, and so uh, I'm gonna say Kyle Schwarber. Okay. He's the guy who hits the ball the hardest and the DVR. furthest this year. So here we go. I like having a lefty in this contest in this park. Nice warm day in LA, hot day in LA. I actually like Jose Ramirez because when I think about the home run derby, most of the last 15 years I was in Vegas for it. It was something you could actually bet on. Jose Ramirez, when I looked this morning, was plus 1,600 to win. Why bet against him? Why not get the great odds? I mean, I think he's an underdog for sure. Why is he doing this then? Barrel rate is down. Why is he doing it? I guess it can't hurt that bad, huh? It's hard to predict. Yeah, it's hard to predict. It all comes down to the BP thrower, so we're going to see. I'm going Jose Ramirez as the long shot, but I think 
chalk is probably the way to go and Eno's reasoning is much better than mine i'm just looking for the the better payout if i happen to be at the sports book but i hope everyone enjoys the derby and of course the game on tuesday that's going to do it for this episode of the 3-0 show you can find brit on twitter at brit underscore drolly you can find Eno on twitter at Eno saris the athletic baseball show is back with you on wednesday at the 3-0 show you've always got the green light green light